Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Be glad in the Lord always. Again I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then, the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us. The God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we continue our series on letting go and letting God, we're nearing the end. Um, there's a good argument that could be had uh, among people who care about those things, whether this is the last Sunday in Lent or whether Palm Sunday is the last Sunday in Lent. But regardless, we're nearing that end place. Throughout the whole series, we've talked about uh, letting go of like, uh, our comforts, letting go of right, uh, being able to claim that we are right and others are wrong, letting go of pride, um, gathering those things around us that we think actually shore up our confidence and credibility, um, and then letting go of the past. Uh, those things that we believe continue to hold us back, those things that continue to wound us and to determine our future. But then when we realize that God has reached out and grabbed us just for the purpose of carrying us along, we are freed from those past experiences. Uh, today we look at uh, letting, uh, taking up our cross, avoiding the traps that steal our peace. Now, um, now, I was a, 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 a psychology student in undergrad, and, and I wanted to be cool, and all the cool kids were reading Robert Persig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I don't know if you also were cool like me. Some of you are laughing, so maybe you were. Um, and, and though I had no desire to learn about Zen, and I had no desire to learn about motorcycle maintenance, mom said I couldn't ride one, um, he has this wonderful story uh, it's a story to talk about psychology and philosophy. It's the story about uh, a trap built for a monkey. And you can kind of see the picture there, that the monkey is so curious and so interested that there's something inside the gourd, and he reaches in to get it, and his, it, the hole is wide enough for his hand to get in. But then having found the treat inside the container, he grasps onto it, curious as to what it is, wanting to pull it out to look at it. But aha, the hole is only so big for his hand to go in unflexed and not able to come out flexed with a fist. And so the, the, the monkey is so curious about what he's got a hand on that he will not let go of it, not even to get his hand out. And it doesn't occur to him until much later that the gourd is chained to the ground and that though there is no other occurrence of this curious thing in all the jungle, he thinks, I'll wait here until I figure it out. And then the hunter comes 
and takes his life. Now, I want to say that um, having read since then uh, about Persig and about the monkey trap, that I'm pretty sure that there's no place on the earth where people uh, use this trap, nor were they interested in catching monkeys. What do you do <laughs> once you catch the monkey, right? But the concept still works. You see, a trap has to work with the personality or attributes and characteristics of the thing that's being hunted. And so Persig is uh, talking a little bit about us around curiosity and about possession and about getting what we want. And what, what's fascinating about the monkey trap is that there is no physical impairment to the monkey letting go of the thing inside the gourd and running away. In fact, when we look at uh, how the monkey is trapped, the monkey is trapped only by an idea, and he's unable to see that a principle that served him well, when you find something curious, hold on to it, has now become lethal. I wonder, in spiritual life and in spiritual development, how often we get to that place where there is something that used to be good, and we hold on to it, only realizing that as life and development goes on, as we journey closer to the heart of God, that we cannot do two things. We cannot hold on to the past and also take up our cross. We are imprisoned by an idea. I wonder what's holding, what you're holding on to. What, what is that thing uh, that has occupied both of your hands and you are unable to drop what it is so that then you can take up your cross and follow Jesus. <clears throat> Lent is a time to move closer to God, to move forward in our relationship with God. And to do that, it requires that we might leave some things behind. Paul says in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I want to say again that I think this is one of those million-dollar ideas that if Paul could have, you know, continued to expound on, you know, he would have really paid for his trip to Gaul and wouldn't have had to gone to Romans. Um, this idea of do not be anxious. When you look at uh, mental health statistics for the United States, easily one-third uh, of the population suffers either from moments of anxiety or moments of depression. And when you look at clergy, particularly pastors, pastors, it's like three quarters of us have had some history of anxiety or of depression. And so these words do not be anxious about anything. I remember from my pastoral care classes where they'd say, if somebody comes into your office wanting pastoral care and the support of their pastor, and they sit down and they tell you all about how they can't stop doing this one thing, and it gives them great anxiety and frustration, and they just feel flawed, and they just don't know what to do, and they look at you and say, what, am I, what can I do to stop doing this thing? It is not caring if you say, just stop. <laughs> and in some ways, I get a little bit of that from Paul here. Do not be anxious. As if I could have chosen not to be anxious. As if in the middle of a panic attack, I can say, oh, I'm being silly. I should stop. Now, I don't want to make fun of Scripture because that never goes well. But uh, recognizing that Paul begins with do not be anxious. But he continues by saying, in every situation, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Notice uh, he pulls on scripture here by prayer, right? When you talk to God in every situation, which is a nice assumption that we should be talking to God, 
in every situation. He says, by petition. Uh, there I hear the words of speaking the truth in love, right? Ask for what you need. And then, of course, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, recognizing all that you have that's already been given to you, present your requests to God. Verse 7 continues by saying, and the peace of Christ, uh, the peace that passes all understanding, will be yours. A pretty good answer for how not to be anxious. I want to add to that how to be unanxious is a matter of letting go of the things that hold us so that we can take up the things that mold us. Letting go of the things that hold us, like the trap of the monkey, like the past experiences that make us feel unworthy, like our desire to search uh, for solutions that are comfortable, that are easy, uh, that we like, and that show that we're right. Letting go of those things allows us to take up the things that mold us. I, I um, had a and here's, here's one of those things that will mold us. Now, I feel like uh, this passage and then also the gospel passage that I'll say in just a few minutes really helps out, right? So if you're not sure what to focus on, what to take up that's going to mold us, Paul says uh, pretty plainly, and this is from Philippians verse 8 in our reading, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I have to imagine that some of us, uh, 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 when anxious, um, have so many things that we're worried about, so many things that we carry along, so many things that it just feels like the weight of the world, that it might be hard to focus again on a couple of extra things, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. But I'm not so sure that it has to be um, uh, taking on more things. It could be as simple as taking up our cross and following God. Now, um, one of my uh, mentors uh, was a counselor in the youth program when I was growing up in high school. And, and I remember later, uh, as a young adult, um, um, and uh, uh, he told his testimony um, at an Emmaus walk. And at that Emmaus walk, I remember him saying, I picked the Woodlands United Methodist Church, which is where I grew up, um, as my church home, this is my mentor talking, because at that time I decided that the aggregate wealth of the members of the Woodlands United Methodist Church far surpassed any other church in the Woodlands. And I was a commissioned stockbroker and I was ready to make some money. And so he says in his testimony, he says, I showed up to the Friday 6 a.m. men's breakfast. I showed up at the 8 a.m. Uh, men's breakfast, right? You know that the retirees go a little bit later, right? But retirees have a portfolio as well. Um, he says, I went to the men's retreat at Lakeview that, that nobody initially went to, but I drummed up business because it'd be a great way to get to know people and find out what I could sell them on Monday morning when I got back. He says, I was so excited and motivated about men's ministry at the Woodlands Methodist Church. Do you know what they did? They made me president. <laughs> they made me president. And he tells in his testimony, he says, and I didn't even love the Lord. I could care less what God could do for me. I just knew that the bank accounts inside that church were worth it for me to spend time. 
And then here's the funny thing. He shows up to the next men's retreat at Lakeview, which I imagine if we could all tell our story of salvation, I bet um, one third of the room would say that it has something to do with Lakeview. For those of you that haven't been, it's a beautiful retreat center uh, up in uh, near Palestine, Texas, uh, in East Texas. Um, it is situates around a lake and in the middle of the lake, there's an island and on the island, there's a cross and the cross is lit up at night. And there's three or four Vesper areas around the island, or, I'm sorry, around the lake, uh, where the different uh, camps and age levels or men's or women's groups will hold their worship. Now, he tells the story that while he was counting up the sales and commissions that he was going to make on Monday, it was Saturday night, that was the kind of uh, big moment of the men's retreat, the, the preacher was there on the side of the lake, and everyone was sitting in the benches, he was counting up how much he was going to make, and there it was, caught him off guard, blindsided by God. He looked out across the lake, and he saw the reflection of the cross, and he began to see that everything that he had carried with him, everything that he was anxious about, all the work that he was doing to make sure that he'd be safe and sound, was nothing in light of the acceptance and love of God. I have to say, I have to agree with that. I remember as an eighth grader going to summer camp, and uh, it was, um, you know, last night's worship. And I could, couldn't tell you what the preacher was saying because I was ADD before ADD was cool. I could tell you how many ants had walked across my toes um, down on the floor because I was sitting in the back and couldn't see all the way up to the front. Always been short. But as a sci-fi loving kid, a nerd if you will, I looked up and I saw more stars than I'd ever seen in my life. And it didn't matter what the preacher was saying to this kid. It was a realization that the God that made all of those stars made me and loves me and knows me by name. You see, the grace of God surprises you as you let go of the things that you carry with you. You're invited to take up the one thing that will mold you, an opportunity to focus on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, and admirable or to put it differently, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus said to everyone, Luke chapter nine, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. Now, I really enjoyed um, the preaching series that we did prior to this with Epiphany. Do you remember we were talking about stages of uh, spiritual development? And you start, it doesn't matter what age you are, um, you know, uh, chronological age and, age and spiritual age don't always go together. You can find uh, the, you know, the most powerful saint um, in, in the, the body of a high school kid, right? Um, and, and to some of us, we're still learning how not to be toddlers in the faith, and we're easily into retirement, right? So there's no shame and no judgment uh, it all goes together in an interesting way. But that first stage is about, um, you know, you, you know there's a higher power, you know that there's a God up there, just don't know what that God is expecting or how to name that God. And moving from one to two is just a matter of committing, committing to, uh, to Jesus, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I mean, it's an interesting movement, right? You give up some of those pride things so as to be part of the family of God. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. 
In the midst of two, uh, stage two, those folk are so on fire for Jesus that they're a little bit annoying to the rest of us, right? They are doing so much activity and they're so excited and faith becomes the activities that you can do at church, right? Um, and it's interesting because the uh, challenge of that stage is to figure out how faith on Sunday can become daily life on Monday through Friday. And so the growth is to figure out how to include that faith throughout your day and not just on Sunday. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. And moving from two into three, um, it's a matter of uh, surrender. Um, that's kind of the word for three. Um, you go from realizing that um, our activities are not really changing the world, and so there must be something else that God's calling us to do. And so it's a matter of surrendering. And I know surrendering sounds like you're giving up, right? It sounds like waving the white flag. But instead of uh, losing, it's actually an opportunity uh, for, for God to drive the car. God, God's no longer uh, sitting in the passenger seat. He's no longer in the back seat passing out snacks. He's now really uh, influencing your life and you're making choices on a day-to-day -day basis based upon what God would want you to do today. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. And then moving into that fourth category, that place where it's no longer about surrender. You've given it all away and you feel connected to God, but now it's ever more um, moments of sacrifice, ever more moments of giving of time and talent and of money. In three and four, it's the places where tithing becomes an important thing. I know, grown, but, uh, but it is. It's one of those things, right? Once you have a commitment to Christ, once you see that your life is reflecting Jesus's life, now it's about what more can I do for you, Jesus? And so sacrificial moments become really important. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. Do you get the rhythm here that letting go of things are important, but if you don't take up the one thing that will mold you, it may all be for naught. Jesus said, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. I love Frederick Beekner. He's a, a Presbyterian um, uh, writer. Um, this is from his uh, wishful thinking. It's a dictionary of theological terms, but it's tiny and really well written. This is uh, his uh, definition for the grace of God. Um, he says, the grace of God means something like this. Here's your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. Can you imagine with me? Many of us are stuck in that trap. We have found something curious, wonderful, powerful, beautiful, tasty, and we just can't let go. But to be able to accept the grace of God, we have to let go of this so that we can take up that one thing that will mold us, salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, walking with our cross, 
surrendering to Jesus and sacrificing as we go. There's only a couple more days of Lent. I wonder for you, is what holding you back or is it what you're holding on to? And do you think, if offered the gift of grace, you could get rid of that stuff and accept the gift? Because I think there's a God who wants to give you a gift. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.